0: How's it going guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast episode 134.
1: That's a lot.
0: That is a lot. That is a,
1: that is a fat number.
0: That is a... with a PH. Yeah. Fat with a PH. How you doing Jake?
1: I'm do, Now I'm just trying to think of like the phonetics of that because you have... Well, I guess the phonics of that. We had this exact conversation last week because obviously you have PH. mm mm-hmm. Fat. It's obviously more intense than, than an F. Yes. But then, like, skills, with a Z at the end, is, like, better skills.
0: Yeah, skills.
1: Yeah. When did that come from? Just know. people not knowing how to text?
0: Just spell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> people getting progressively more and more illiterate over time. Yeah. Which I think it's actually getting worse, to be honest. Of
1: course it's getting worse. Everything's just a downward spiral. <laughs> starting off, starting All of off life really is positive spiral. here. Oh, I love uh, it.
0: <laughs> so I'm What's assuming you're doing well.
1: Yeah, well, you know, some things aren't a downward spiral. Some things are better than others. Some things improve, much like the film of the
0: week. Yeah, uh, a bit of spoiler later in the show. Oh,
1: but Zeke, I have. We could have really
0: drawn it out more. We could have been like, "Oh, was it good? Was it really that good?"
1: Yeah, that's true. We could have. Or I could just jump right in. <laughs> it's gonna be a different kind of episode, everyone. Ah, uh, Zeke, I have some trivia for you. That's awesome. Gonna, gonna throw it your way. Sure. Hope you enjoy. So, more more spoilers in terms of our thoughts and comments on the film, but it's important for this piece of trivia because mm. it's something that you noticed and you made this joke along the lines of Idris Elba's character. Yes. Could have kind of it seemed like a bit of a copy and a paste of the Will Smith character I mean, in terms of it, the arc and a lot of things like that. And, yes. um Yeah, it's something you may have noticed. And, of course, what I didn't realise, I actually was shockingly unaware of the history of this film, which is indeed... Sort of a sequel. Mm-hmm. It definitely was penned as a sequel in a lot of ways. My laptop is, my laptop is blowing up. Hope I'm not losing you there. I know.
0: No, it's looking all right.
1: <laughs> okay, that's good. Well, okay, let's ignore the laptop. Mm-hmm. We had we had a thing on my Gamers Drink Two podcast in back in 2017, the virus computer, because the the computer would just like sporadically. Like, you know, like that voice where it's like, danger, danger. It's like a weird voice that like, I must have downloaded a virus. Because mm. I don't know where this is coming from. We had that many times on that podcast. We actually had to rest the computer. We had to put it down. Yeah. Which okay. is fun. Well, for, I mean, in favor well, let's
0: hope that doesn't happen on this computer here. No,
1: exactly. It looks fine now. I was a little worried. But uh, to that point, because I was so unaware of how the construction of this Suicide Squad, the Suicide Squad 2021 mm-hmm. version... Um, I didn't realise that it actually was written to be a sequel in the sense that this character, the character of, well, what's his name, Bloodsport. Mm. It's a silly name, but yeah, it all it all originates from old comics. The character of Bloodsport was actually meant to be Will Smith's dead shot, and Indra Selva was actually cast to replace him. But halfway through, I guess, pre-production, not not shooting, I suppose... They decided, well, we could always get Will Smith back in a future film. So let's just make him a different character. Let's make him Bloodsport. And they didn't change the script for that uh, change. They didn't adjust it whatsoever. So... There you go. Very much the film was written for that to be Will Smith's character. Which makes a lot of sense when we think I about believe it. <laughs> I think it's
0: to leave the door open for Will Smith to return. exactly And potentially have him in a preceding film from mm. this one. So... Um, that's, that's really interesting. Um, speaking of casting. Okay. Um, another casting choice, which sort of does tie into Gunn's directing. Um, originally James Gunn wanted Dave Bautista to play Peacemaker. Oh God. But Bautista, uh, I know you have your things to say about Dave Bautista, (laughs) but he turned it down to play the lead role in in Snyder's Army of the Dead.
1: Uh Um,
0: which I I guess that worked loathed. out in
1: a lot of ways. because um, <laughs> thank God he's not in this. Yeah, and of
0: course we'll talk about John Cena's performance later uh in the mm. show with our review and seeing if uh if he was up to par, but obviously Batista being, you know, in the uh the MCU James Gum films mm. as sort of definitely an archetypal character like, you know, Peacemaker is in this one. They definitely have similarities. Um mm. I can see why he would want to cast him. Um, but yeah, like you said, I guess that worked out for everyone. Because, uh, well, we'll talk about John Cena's yeah, performance I, later I don't on. know
1: if I've ever talked about... Uh, something I've only recently started making fun of with Dave Batista is this, everything he says is just so egotistical and funny. Like, mm. he came out recently and, and said things like, oh, if they made a God of War film, they should cast me! Or Knives Out 2 is better than the first because of its cast, including me and just like a lot of stuff every time every time I see it he he came up and said Mm. something like oh they shouldn't have made the Black Widow film they should have made the Drax film so I can be in it like that was something he apparently said and I'm like dude just get over yourself relax it's fine a lot of love
0: there Love that, for himself, yeah. Uh, I wish I had that much self-love.
1: Uh, exactly. Well, obviously, this film is not on the poster of one thousand one hundred films. It is obviously way too recent. But Zeke, should it be on the poster? Nah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Probably. Um, we like it, but not that much. <laughs> yeah, I think the
0: the important part of the the poster is it's films you have to see before you know the end of your life, and yeah. and this film would not. Be in that category, um, all right Fun, but we'll talk a little bit more about it later in the it's show.
1: mundo. exactly. Before we get there, though,
0: we have to talk about what we've watched in the last week. Jake, mm. what have you caught in the last week?
1: Um, I haven't watched much. I actually I rewatched The Big Lebowski the other night. Where's the uh, money, Lebowski? Where's the money, Lebowski? Um, no, because I was on the couch and my parents were flicking through Netflix, and I was like, "Pass me the control. I'm going to pick something." i'm gonna pick something and then i found i was like yeah, big lebowski i don't think it was on netflix when i watched it the first time i I guess a year and a half ago now it was a little Mm -hmm. while ago i saw it um but i ended up sticking around and we ended up watching the whole thing and it's it's still it's a very funny movie it's hilarious i love the performances the one thing and it's like it's not a knock on the film at all but like john goodman's character is this it's walter isn't it Mm -hmm. yeah he um God, he does drive me nuts sometimes. But I, that's obviously his character, and he's meant to be that like commit. He says funny stuff. Yeah. But then like the initial um like hostage exchange, like it's almost infuriating just how much he screws that whole thing up, and it's like to his character. But it's like ah, uh, it's like when I watch the beginning of A Bug's Life, mm. and like, is it no? It's not Z. That's ants. What's his name? What what's the bug? What's what's the uh, oh? It's um, God. Damn it! I know this.
0: For Flick, right. is it Flick. Flick? Yeah, it's Flick. Yeah,
1: Flick. When he like knocks over all the food, and it, it's like that's just one of those like it's frustrating to watch. But like every time you watch the movie, you kind of hope it doesn't go mm-hmm. that way. But it's also a film and doesn't change. Of course, every time. See <laughs> the alternative cut. <laughs> His character is
0: obviously like like you said, intentionally um, yeah. frustrating.
1: Yeah, no, it's fair, but it's still an excellent film. Mm. It's it's hilarious, and I love all the dreamy, ethereal sequences. They're, so, they're great. It's great filmmaking. Mm. It's fantastic. Not as good as Fargo, though. Um, <laughs> the other thing I watched, I actually watched this today. I, I spammed, spammed, I binged the whole eight episode run of a Netflix miniseries called Shot in the Dark. Now, for those who don't know what this is, first off, it's got like almost no reception on Letterboxd. It's got like 90 viewers and like 20 something reviews. So, positive reviews. Um, yeah, three and a half, something like that. I would personally put it higher. I thought it was excellent. I thought it was fantastic. So for those who don't know, this is essentially real life Nightcrawler. So it's about stringers in LA and sort of the competition that goes between them as they, you know, try and find incidents or uh, you know pursuits with the police or like you know crashes or things that are on fire and mm-hmm. these life-threatening situations and they capture them to sell them to the news outlets. It's exactly like Nightcrawler um like yeah. the real the real deal and yeah it's a fast it's a fantastic documentary it just i was talking about dynamicism with uh envoy shark call cull a couple of weeks back and how you know it's it's a fine documentary and it tells you what it needs to tell you about shark culling but it's sort of it struggles to fit the 90 minute runtime because it's just like interview b-roll mm. piece to camera b-roll piece to camera b-roll and it's like it's just it, it's not as interesting in terms of the filmmaking this is almost the pure opposite, where well, there's almost no pieces of camera, the whole thing. And it's about, I mean, it's eight episodes, so it's probably close to, I'd say, five hours in, in length. Um, and like I said, I binged the whole thing today. It was just, like, very fascinating and, and wonderful to watch. And the whole thing is just fully covered, you know? There's mounted GoPros and all the cars and, like, tons of drone footage and, the, you know, the ground footage of the documentary crew mm-hmm. following these people who are in turn filming all of the incidents And it just covers everything you would want to see. I felt like, you know, much like they're doing, which is like covering these horrible things and getting the footage Mm -hmm. that most people would be too afraid to get, they do that and they kill it. And so does the documentary crew filming this thing. It's a little meta in that way, but I thought it was absolutely fantastic and I think everyone should watch it. It's almost kind of like when you're watching a footy match in a way and you're like, oh, I love this team, but they didn't really deserve to win that one. Or you, you sort of had that objective view. Mm-hmm. I had that as well watching this in that it's mostly about these free businesses slash sole traders who are just constantly butting heads and competing against each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people would make the sale or not. You would have, I think it's called hits. Um, yeah, hits. So basically what that is, is how many stories, quote unquote, do they sell to news outlets? Uh, so you can sell the same story to seven different news outlets and that's seven hits for that night and the idea is it's basically who wins who gets the most hits on a certain night and usually they're at the same stories or the same incidents or sometimes they delegate within their own group who goes to what and that's Mm. all fascinating to see Um, but it just becomes like this super untenable competition as like some parties they start um, basically grouping all of their stories so they sell nine stories for the price of one so they basically just eat the rest of the competition and take that loss um, which in turn is like a you know that's gonna tank the entire industry because it just lessening the value of all the stories, but then you have other companies that just keep expanding, expanding expanding. they have twenty five plus people on their team all around l a capturing stories mm. versus the guy who you know is a family team, but his brother witnesses something very traumatic in which is the cliffhanger of the first episode. That first episode is fantastic, probably one of my favorite pilots ever. doesn't really get much more intense than that, but it's still excellent. And then how does he keep up with that competition as he's circling LA all by himself, even though he's a good videographer. Mm. But um, yeah, so it, just, it sort of covers all of those grounds, which I thought was really fascinating, really awesome, their relationship to the firefighters and local police and everything. The only problem is that, for me, it, it kind of ends on a note where... It doesn't end in the biggest like cliffhanger or like epic story it kind of ends a little anticlimactically which you know what can you do you get the story you get yeah when you do a doc- documentary and also that you know it's all about businesses and capitalism and them you know fighting each other for the cash we never know how much they make ever there's a constant counter on how many hits they get per night and which stories and who you know gets more hits than others in the same story but there's no dollar amount to this so you at the end of this eight-part miniseries, I have no idea how much they make per hit. Generally, I'm sure it fluctuates. I have no idea if the people who hire other people to help them get commission per story or per hit, or if it's a salary. I like I don't know any of the answers to those questions. Yeah. And it's like, come on, guys! Like you nailed like everything else, except I don't know how much these guys make, and that almost is kind of beside. That almost takes away because that's the whole point. It's a competition. Yeah. Who's making the most money? Who's money. actually winning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we don't know that. But um, otherwise, I think it's an excellent documentary. So I recommend people go watch this. It's great. No, Shot could, in
0: the dark. Did you did your own little uh, Netflix gold hunting there. Yeah, Diamond. a little
1: bit. Well, you know, my um, I walked past my mum watching this like months ago. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, real life Nightcrawler. That sounds excellent. Mm. And I was a little disappointed yesterday. I was like, oh, it's a show. I thought it was a movie. But nevertheless, I was enthralled virtually the mm. entire time. So... Uh, yeah, a little bit of my own gold digging there for night for uh, for Netflix. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, over to me. Um, I managed to catch. Uh, oh, I'm looking at it now. Um, I watched four new things, not including the film of the week, so five including okay. the film of the week. Um, not going to spend too much time on this first one. I watched In Time for the first time, um, which was the oh. 2011 Andrew Nicole. Uh, Release who's Justin who's Tim, in that one again? Justin Timberlake Ford, and, so, yep, and gotcha. Amanda Seyfried. Um, it was a very um, uh, look. I thought um, his performance was quite rocky. Um, okay, uh, his his in particular was was quite frustrating. Um, I think this is. I wrote it on my Instagram. It's, it's this kind of falls in the for me it falls in the category of things like The Purge. And and this film they they fit in these categories where sitting around a boardroom and pitching ideas for a film this sounds like a really cool concept but okay um I just don't think they do enough with it um the idea is that every I don't know if you've seen the film no um everyone stop a stops aging physically at the age of twenty five but from the age of twenty five they've only got a year left on their like uh. Life clock,
1: like a like a watch.
0: It's like a (laughs) but well, it's kind of like a imprinted into your skin. Oh, okay. Green hue and
1: yeah, I've definitely uh, heard of like the concept or the idea of this film. You
0: get you get paid, you pay buy and sell things with time. Like time is the commodity of the capitalistic commodity, and of course. People are segregated into different uh, regions. And, of course, there's the region that no one... Everyone's got hundreds of years. And then the poor region. You know, it's got a real District 12 mm. to District 1 sort of... Uh, okay. Uh, which, you know, it was par for the course around that time. Those types of movies. And I, I just think it's film.
1: Yeah, I think that came out like a, a year before The Hunger Games did, actually. There you go. <laughs>
0: um, it just didn't have a lot to say, really. Um, it was contrived in parts and did like a lot of because movie moments and i think it was definitely more a uh concept was always going to be better in theory than execution sort of like that's how i feel with the purge too yeah um, the okay. purge is like oh this is a cool concept but
1: man amanda cyphery looks so different with the sort of a black wig
0: Strange, isn't it yeah oh,
1: it's interesting. um
0: moving on from that i watched uh, Step Brothers for the first time
1: really yeah wow okay well what did you think i thought it was uh okay <laughs> um, okay it's a fun it's an adam a mckay
0: uh film from 2008 i know a lot of people it's <laughs> oh, yeah, really, really.
1: directed by adam mckay that's amazing yeah um
0: <laughs> i still prefer anchorman by by mile right um, but i enjoyed it well enough i like these two together mm. um I like. I actually think I like Talladega Nights more than I like this film. So okay. Um,
1: I don't know if that's a controversial format. Well, what is the average actually? Because I think Step Brothers for me was such a like. It was so big at the time, and it was mm. like I was just too young to watch it. So my yeah. older brother would be making jokes about it mm. with his friends, and I'm like, I haven't seen it yet. So it was a bit of a you know reaching my hands out like when can I get a hold of this film? Mm. It's got a three point four, so it's pretty good. Yeah, it's a pretty good rating. Pretty um, solid. It's yes, people like it. Well yeah. enough, yeah, well enough. Yeah. Um, it's a fun time. It was a fun time.
0: Uh, the other two I caught was a documentary called Shackle uh, 2012 documentary uh, called Shackleton's Captain, which... Uh, Is
1: it about a captain of the Shackleton? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's actually about a, um expedition that a bunch of um, New Zealand explorers and headed with, I think, by a couple of British uh people took to be the first to make it to the south pole and traverse uh antarctica okay um like from one end of antarctica to the other and of course it goes horribly wrong and it actually leads to the ship being frozen in the ice tundra waters Jesus. in the middle <laughs> oh. antarctica and it's sort of their journey to of survival hmm. and the fact is is. Twenty. It was uh, the captain and the head of the expedition. Shackleton was um, the head of the expedition, and then his, uh, you know, his captain. I've got to remember his name now. Um,
1: the captain of Shackleton.
0: It's captain that the, the boat was called the Endurance. Um, oh, okay. Well, then so, it should be Endurance's Shackle- captain. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sir Ernest Shackleton was like a pretty famous explorer at the time. Right, and the captain's name was Frank Worsley, um, and he was kind of the one who basically made them made them all get out of there alive. And it was, it was just this absolute um, monolithic effort. Like they mm. they, it took them a year and a half to get home, everyone home and yeah, stuff. Wow. And um, basically, it was it was wildly, it was crazy how these setbacks, and yet not a single one of them died. Yeah, um, wow. which was truly baffling. Um, it's
1: actually very similar to Shot in the Dark in that it's got a very small letterboxed presence, only got about 170 people who saw it, and half the cast don't even have their characters' names attached to them. That's yeah. a bit frustrating. So it's actually... We're on the hunt, So what, <laughs> they,
0: what they did, which I thought was really interesting, is they did an amalgamation of reenactments, mm. um, pieces to Cameron reenactments, but... The interesting part was there actually was a, um, they got an actor to play Frank Worsley and the captain and he's presenting this story. So there's a, there's a weird Mm. sort of real time way of frame, a framing device for the story. Okay. Um, But it works really well because it sort of adds like a dramatic, so it's him presenting. To like a bunch of people about this this adventure, and then it would cut into the archival. And one of the biggest things is the access. This is why I gave it uh, such a pretty positive rating: is mm. the archival footage. The access to that footage was amazing because they had a Australian filmmaker on the voyage with them, and the wow, coverage, okay. Um So
1: actual coverage from that's fascinating, and a lot of yeah.
0: coverage like of film like still images and film um i want to get the name of the filmmaker
1: yeah i'm kind of in a similar boat where if i see a documentary even even if it doesn't matter how well or not it's made but if they have the footage and it's just there and it's like a real time and and true archive like i'm way more generous in terms of giving it my thumbs up so i totally get that
0: yeah, yeah. and that was one of the yeah, one of the most impressive parts is the fact that they had so much of this archival footage preserved mm. even despite this everything going horribly wrong. And um, that was wildly impressive. And I think that's what made it enthralling to watch.
1: Yeah. So is this one on Netflix? Amazon Prime. Okay, cool. Amazon? The um, Prime. So... The prime of Amazon. The
0: last one that I managed to watch uh, prior to... Uh, the film of the week mm. was another Amazon little little thing out of Tribeca, so okay. Um, called the Giant Mechanical Man. Um, and this this stars Jenna Fisher of The Office. Oh, cool! Acclaim and uh, Chris Messina and Topher Grace.
1: So interesting.
0: Um, basically a very cute sort of indie um ro- you know, romantic comedy. Um. Obviously, centering around uh, Chris Messina and, and Jenna Fisher's characters, who are sort of wayward people in their early thirties. um Messina's character is—he actually does the—I I, I guess it's—it's a, it's a street act, street performance. You know, the the giant statues, the people that dress up as statues and sort of don't move, and then they move.
1: Oh, like the m- miming. I, that kind of thing? Yeah, or? you
0: know, and they paint themselves in, like, silver and bronze and oh, gold okay, yeah. gold. There's paint. a
1: great Safdie short film of that. For mm. G- G- Goldman versus Silverman, or the other way around. Mm. And, um, I know exactly what you're talking about.
0: And that's what he, he sort of does. Um, he's been doing it for a really long time. And basically, they're... they're <laughs> Jenna Fisher's character Sort of just Yeah like I said Been very wayward And very Kind of lost And both of them Are sporadically In and out of casual work And then Mm. they both Get a job At a a zoo And then develop A rapport and, and, And such And it's Yeah it's a, just a nice film. I mean, the yeah. the 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 before chemistry's there. It's it's kind of nice seeing Jenna Fisher in something.
1: I was going to say, I would love to see her in more stuff because I just, I don't think I've seen her in anything other than The Office. And
0: that came out in 2011, so there's was a little bit, just a little bit after... um,
1: Around the time they were wrapping up. Wrapping yeah, up. Around um, the season so eight-ish it, mark. Uh, it was nice
0: to, yeah, see her in, um, like, just a lead role because obviously we've seen Krasinski and a lot of the other casts, so... She's
1: uh, in The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Did not know that. Although that kind of makes sense, because that's...
0: I'm trying to figure out where.
1: Yeah, no, I can't think of either. I can check qu- quickly. Because you got... This is around the time, of course, this was the film that saved The Office in a lot of ways. So this would have mm. been in that time when Steve Carell wasn't huge. So maybe he got a lot of friends on from The Office. Jeez, that's a huge cast list. <laughs> it's a big cast. <laughs> where do I even start, Zeke? Past Jonah Hill, for sure. Or is it, what is jo- Jonah Hill is the eBay customer? Yeah. So maybe he's not so. Oh yeah, Mindy Kaling's in this. Is, yeah. Okay. I gotta rewatch it because I obviously I watched this before I started watching The Office. Phyllis is in this. Andy's mother, uncredited. Would you look at that man? I need to give this another rewatch. Back in our Judd Apatow days, <laughs> <week>. <laughs> I love it. I still can't find it. What's going on? You see, okay, Letterboxd, Here's my suggestion to you. Oh, I found her. Woman One. Oh, that's very helpful. <laughs> 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 she plays Woman One, Zeke. We solved our problems. Letterboxd, you need to organize it so when we click on an actor's name and it comes up with a list of all their films, there's got to be a way we can find their character name from that page. Mm. That's my suggestion to you, Letterboxd. Get onto it. I just, I actually, get you know what? It. I just paid my annual fee last week mm-hmm. for Letterboxd Pro. What do I have? Let's find out. Not films yet. Yeah, pro. Okay, there you go. So I just sent them 25 bucks. They can they can do this for me. They can do it for me. Yeah. That's what I'm... Do right. yourself a favour. Yeah, do, do yourself a favour. Exactly. Um, yeah, it was
0: just a nice, tight, <laughs> very easy to watch, consumable 90-minute film. Made me laugh a couple of times. Um, it's very sweet. I like these films, these like oh. sweet little rom-com films. Yeah, with chill. a chill. Misunderstood <laughs> arty people.
1: Basically. <laughs> There's plenty of those now, aren't and that's there? that's
0: pretty much all I've watched in the last week.
1: Yeah, no, oh, that's cool. Well, yeah. I don't have much to say in my career update. I thought it would be cool to mention, though, because um, this is something... I mean, we've talked about it a lot in terms of us doing stuff like external video essays or mm. just written essays on films and reviews yes. and stuff. So when I was at my school job the other day, I was live streaming a presentation about behaviour in students. And in particular about, you know, managing and predicting the behavior and positive versus negative reinforcement in terms of getting kids to behave in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I actually thought this would be really cool to do with like an hour-long presentation, PowerPoint, but spin it to talk about behavior in screenwriting. Okay. Because I think a lot of people writing screen and like, I'm completely guilty of this too, at least in terms of actively thinking about it, is so much about screenwriting is knowing how people behave and, like, philosophy and those kinds of things. And the more you can inject that into, you know, a creative or an artistic script, I think just generally works better. And I thought of a lot of examples, you know, they talk, even just in terms of Shot in the Dark, the Nightcrawler documentary I was talking about, the reason there's such a competitiveness is because they're not on a a fixed ratio schedule in terms of their payment. Mm-hmm. You know, when we go to work, well, you know, most people would go to work, they would have a salary, and every fortnight at this exact time, maybe midnight, Thursday night, they get their salary. So the incentivator, the incentive... What's the word I'm looking for? I guess the motivator. That's, I'm trying to get incentive and motivator, but I'm putting the R on the wrong spot. The motivator is low because they get the salary no matter what. Obviously, there isn't a motivator to not get fired, but it's low because you're getting a weekly salary mm. as opposed to in this example where the motivator is they have to work for it constantly because they've got to sell it, the product they're making, the videos, and they get it back. And speaking of the office, I thought of another example where, you know, they get paid a, a fortnightly or weekly salary. So that's why the whole premise of the show is people being bored in the workplace and finding a way to make it fun. So it's actually the premise of it. Mm. But there is that one episode where Jim's like on a sales streak and then realizes he's not getting any more commissions for it because he's hit the cap. So it becomes a, a situation of, oh, he's not getting commissions. So the motivator is now down and his behavior is altered by the fact that he's not getting extra money yeah. for working. So now he's just bored and sitting around. And that influences where the story goes. So I just, all of these thoughts were in my head while doing this this job. I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll do something. Maybe I'll write a, like an hour-long presentation or something like that. I don't know. Uh, you one can of those? do your own
0: office spin-off.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we got our own office spin-off. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that was almost a year ago now, Zeke. Like, That's insane. Wow. It
0: goes by so quickly, doesn't I it? Know. So much has changed.
1: It's crazy. Yeah. Well, you're back. You're back in the classroom. I am. Finished, oh your break? Yeah, yeah. Between that and
0: work, it's just been so insane. Like I, that first week back, I've just like
1: assessments, just
0: out the wazoo. So mm-hmm. right back into game face mode, pretty much. And do you put um, on
1: like markings like a football game? I wish. Um, <laughs> you put stuff in your face. My
0: my voice is the one that's suffered the most. Apparently, mm, that's so, okay. yeah. I was probably real uh, real soft this week, mm-hmm. um, but. Yeah no, it's great to be back in the it was weird. It had been nearly five, nearly five months since I'd been on campus. Wow. We worked it out because the end of March, um, when you went to prac. Yeah, so four months probably, but still crazy. Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, lots changed in that time, but really, yeah, you know, excited to be back on campus. It's weird to go back from like feeling like you have like a job in that mm. prac mindset to, oh no, now back to writing s. 3500 word yeah. essays and <laughs> academic a lot of theory based work exactly. this semester on, too ba- back so. on the
1: other side of the classroom <laughs> at the back instead of the front yeah not uh, sure how i feel about it but, yeah. yeah no no it's fair that's fair you i mean this that. is
0: now going into what nearly my, my four and a half years into degrees so mm-hmm. it's a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of time to spend at university but, but yeah. Freo is always great very chill I have another one of those three-hour blocks on one of my days of the week, so yes. expect Lunar Sessions to come back.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and that's a Thursday, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's perfect, because then, like, anything that's new, you could probably catch it the day of release. How great is that? Yeah, it's perfect.
0: Fantastic. Um, Yeah, awesome. that's pretty much all I've got for Korea, though.
1: Yeah, cool. Too easy, Z. No Dramas. Well,
0: it is time for us moving a Film of the Week, but Jake, what are we watching?
1: This week on the show, we're watching, and I emphasize the the... Watching the suicide squad.
0: Here's the deal we fail the mission, you die. If we find out any information you give us is false, you die. If we find out you have personalized license plates, you die. What? No.
1: If you cough without covering your mouth, Harley,
0: although that isn't an open invitation for you to cough without covering your mouth. What's the plan? What the hell am I to know? You're the leader. You're supposed to be decisive. And I've decided that you should eat a big bag of dicks. If this whole beach was completely covered in dicks, and somebody said I'd eat every dick until the beach was clean for liberty, I would say no
1: problemo. Why would someone put penises all over the beach? Who knows why madmen do what they do? do okay.
0: This is suicide. Well, that's kind of our thing. I'm going to get you out of here alive.
1: I'm going to get you out of here alive.
0: Oh, my God. We've got a freaking kaiju up in this
1: shit. Uh-huh. I don't want to do your thing. We love the rain. It's like angels are sploothing all over us.
0: The government sends the most dangerous supervillains in the world, Bloodsport, Peacemaker, King Shark, Harley Quinn, and others, to a remote enemy-infused island on of Corto Maltese. Armed with high-tech weapons, they track through the dangerous jungle on a search-and-destroy mission, with only Cole, Rick Flag on the ground to make them behave. Oh, Colonel. Who? I wrote, it's Cole, I said Cole, and it's Colonel. Who's <laughs> the abbreviation? It's Cole for McGrath.
1: C O L E. So
0: Colonel Rick Flag. Sorry, that's my mistake there. But <laughs> the Suicide Squad, just to make things extra confusing compared to its predecessor, which was just called Suicide Squad.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I think what i when i found out from reading a bit because you know we were confused as to whether this was a remake or a sequel or what the deal was especially with that title Mm -hmm. and i think what i realized reading into it is that they basically had you know booked the sequel before the last one came out so they didn't know how bad it was going to be panned of course the first one was frankly one of the worst films i've ever seen it's just such a mess in almost every conceivable way Mm -hmm that being said i think they sort of grew to understand that a little bit and we did talk about the whole ah oh, well you know will smith was getting replaced but then not really anymore because now he's idris was playing a different character mm-hmm. so there is a continuation and you pointed out that i didn't notice is that some of the characters in that first squad we see on the plane were from the first film like jai courtney and stuff like that mm-hmm. i didn't pick up on that captain i just boomerang captain boomerang um, primarily, the only re- reoccurring cast is Viola Davis's Um, what's her name? I got it here.
0: There's quite a few actually. It's Viola Davis. It's um
1: Andrea. W- I just got a W in here. It's Waller or Walder or and, something. And and Rick Flag.
0: Flagg was in the first. Well, one. I was
1: going to say Harley Quinn, but that too. I yeah. guess. They were all in the first one. <laughs> there you go. Um. So this is a I sequel. Shot. It is a sequel. It is. Yeah. It's it's a sequel, but I think they very much approach it in a way that. You could totally watch this without having to see the first one. And maybe you get a little bit more out of it... Because you recognize those characters like you did... But this was very much... To me... And I went into this... Having no expectation one way or the other... Whether I was going to like it or not... Because I frankly didn't know... I don't really hold James Gunn in that high regard... I liked the first Guardians... Mm -hmm. I didn't like the second one... I thought... The whole thing with him getting cancelled over these tweets... I am never a fan of cancelling people in that sense... But at the same token... Those tweets are just representative of his humor style. So, you know, I went into this just not knowing where I was going to stand. And got to say, got to give it to him. Got to give it to Mr. Gunn. This was a great film. There you go. I am perfectly happy saying this is a great film. It is better than the original in every conceivable way. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I, I made the comparison in the cinema when I was next to you. This is very much a Last Jedi to Rise of Skywalker situation where um two different directors have taken two films uh sequential films and basically kind of used their f- especially you know the preceding film t- to take pot shots at the prior one now in the rise of skywalker situation obviously it was for the worse actually you would everyone would conceivably say last jedi was better than rise of skywalker
1: yeah well the the, the main because i i agree with you in a lot of ways with that it's mm-hmm. it's a good comparison I mean, the main difference is when you had J.J. J. Abrams of episode 9, I, d- I don't think it was pot shots one way. I mean, it w- there were pot shots in there, sure. But I think with episode 9, it was more of a, let's just fix, quote-unquote, all of episode Eight's mistakes, which in turn just makes the entire trilogy super inconsistent. Yeah. While with this and with James Gunn, it felt like they weren't... They were like, well, the last one was bad. Let's just make a good movie. And yeah, you know, there may be some similar arcs or... There may be scenes in certain locations that are very indicative of the other mm. one. It, it, like a one-to-one, this is a better way of doing this same scene. Yeah, But the whole movie felt that way. And I think that's a better approach because you're not trying to fix any issues. Yeah, You're hitting the reset button in in areas where you can and just making an all-out better film that's more enjoyable, that's more stylistically consistent. And, and frankly, and to his humour, I thought it was really re- reeled back. The worst sort of sexual jokes in there we're in the trailer, yeah, and it's. I I was not distracted by it in any way, shape, or form this time, which was great. I'm glad.
0: I agree. <laughs> I did walk out of this film equally uh, as positive as you on on this. Um, went in there with obviously astronomically low expectations, but mm. was was pretty impressed. I I had sort of you know bits and bobs here and there that i, I was like I, I wouldn't say this film was a i say this is a good film mm. um uh, great might be pushing it um okay but it, it was definitely entertaining from start to finish i didn't get bored um i think this film is the most uh puerile example of what gun's direction and an artistic style is um mm. as compared to i i, we, I talked about with a lot of directors in the MCU films are just completely and utterly repressed and compressed um, and are almost not allowed to give any flair. And, and the fact of the matter is Guardians does stand out as one that had a bit more flair. But mm. if you really go back and watch it, it doesn't have anything that conventionally, um, especially now compared to this film, we really can see a lot, a lot of uh stylistic stuff that he did in that uh in in this new suicide squad film which definitely reflects i think more what he would like to have done even with the guardians films that mm. he probably wasn't allowed to do because of sort of that producer overlord yeah. situation trying to s- sanitize that
1: film well he's and, he's pretty open i found out that yeah he had way more creative freedom in this film and it's funny because it's that is the exact polar opposite of what the last suicide squad film was which was a complete mix match of thoughts and ideas from Too Many Cooks in the Kitchen. Mm. And it's like the worst version of Too Many Cooks in the Kitchen. So I thought, just comparing those two films, and and it's not the fact that they got James Gunn. I think he was a good choice for this. I never thought he was a bad choice. Mm. Because, you know, when you said this to me off the air is, yeah, he did Guardians. He knows how to handle an ensemble of characters and give them all, you know, enough time and daylight and... He has that flair of mm. uniqueness that makes this film good. I think he was a good director to pick. That didn't necessarily mean the film was going to be good to me personally. Um, and I think he nailed it from that standpoint because they just let him have that freedom. Yeah. You know, and he's open about Guardians. You're right, Guardians comparatively to other MCU films, is more stylistically unique. It's more interesting. It has that flair. Mm. But not nearly as much as it could've. And I think this film is proof of that.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um and I think that this film benefits significantly from its self awareness. Um, mm. um and, you know, as we dive a little bit more into the plot, it's uh ability to not give superheroes plot armor. Um <laughs> or to just really kind of create a sense of mortality with them, which um Honestly, has become you know we talked about it a couple of weeks ago on the Black Widow one where it was like you never ever felt any of the main cast were really in any sort of danger right. or uh, of danger of dying because she couldn't die you know Black Widow the main, you know Scarlett Johansson's character couldn't die because of just where it was in the timeline and you knew Florence Pugh's character wasn't gonna die because right. the whole point of that film was to groom her for future yeah, films yeah. so it, the. And it's like before this film started, we had the, the Shang-Chi trailer and it's like, I said to you, it's like, oh, it would have been really nice if they'd maybe pushed a bit more flair. You know, obviously there's a, when, it, when it comes to the fight choreography and stuff that we get a, I'd love to see in that film a lot more like one take John Wick stuff, you know, where like right, the, yeah. the choreography is just a continuous, but we're not going to. it'll It'll just look like all of the other films fighting, fighting styles, you know. Yeah um, the and way it's I, and shot and that's a shame. Yeah. You
1: know. Well that that that's it because like they found over at Disney that winning formula of we're just going to keep this all similar enough that they they can't fail because people are going to watch it and think it was totally okay. Mm-hmm. And like I was way more positive on Black Widow than you were but that doesn't take away from it it's still a very bland arguably very useless part of the big puzzle piece that is the MCU and with and with what DC's doing and I've noticed because I was a big fan of Birds of Prey as well. And mm. in a lot of ways, it is very similar to this version of Suicide Squad. And for DC, you know, they're slapping that reset button over and over again. They're trying different things. And sometimes they go wildly wrong mm. horribly wrong. Justice League is even worse than Suicide Squad. as it, that, yeah. That's my opinion. But then, on the same token, you get these wild experiments that do work. So I think with the MCU, you've got this flat line of films that are playing it safe and just constantly pumping out these, you know, free star films, if not, you know, less, versus DC, where they're putting out equally horrible films and equally wonderful films because they are being experimental, and I would much rather live in a world full of that, full of nah, experiments I'm, that go either right or wrong.
0: volatile well, i I mean, I think the fact of the matter is, you know, this is the... Uh, I just saw it as the 10th installment in the DC Cinematic Universe. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, it doesn't
1: feel like it, does it? <laughs> no. It
0: feels, and we kind of look um, at the, the, the nine that came before, and I have to I can at least excuse maybe three or four of them because they felt like they were rush jobs to try and get DC caught up to where Marvel were yep. at points, like the Justice League film and and um you know to it's you know like that film and probably to a certain extent things like even batman v superman and stuff like that you know um but the the fact of the matter is predominantly just justice league but it was and and that suicide squad film felt like they were just rush jobs to try and get them caught up um whereas if they had Taken their time And allowed This sort of Creative freedom And just waited A couple more years mm. Sure they might have Missed the train Like I, I know They were worried They were going to Miss the cash train That was the real Motivation by Rushing those films out Yeah But they The quality suffered Like the, the quality control It suffered immensely So it's You know They've allowed this film To you know Have it's time And it's proper Gestation period And it comes out With this actual Unique Mm -hmm. Um, presentation
1: I'm going to expand on your train analogy for a second sure (laughs) it felt like the first train was the MCU train Be like, we're headed to this direction everyone let's all go there and enjoy the ride and while DC maybe should have made the train hey we're going to take a, a little longer to get there but we're going to have these nice detours with scenic routes and wonderful interesting things to see and instead they were like take our train and we're going to get there at the same time and it ended up just going into a wall yeah, it did. <laughs> it's a bit of a scene uh, comparison, exactly, but that's yeah. that's what I thought when you said that. It's so true.
0: It is, um, and it's like, and now obviously after the, such the 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 travesty that was both in sequential order, the Justice League film and 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 the, the the first Suicide Squad film, I think they stuck their hands up and went, "Oh well," a lot of these films moving forward need to start employing a creative. Uh, a different creative tone or a unique creative voice in each one, and it's like, mm. look, I didn't like Wonder Woman eighty four at all, but
1: very bad, very very bad. Not it's it worse than I think about it.
0: Um, but it, it, at least it was trying to do something kind of different. Mm. I think maybe um, I'm not really that. I'm not a big fan of really like. I think both films were like one of them was okay, and then got mm. a lot more positive. Uh press than it probably should have and then i for me if i honestly liked it as much as probably batman v superman like the first wonder woman film um but wonder woman 84 it's like obviously i I, I didn't like it all but these kinds of films I, i like more because like i said it's like the mortality rate of of superheroes you know we haven't talked too much about the plot but the the opening scene shows the <laughs> recruitment of a new suicide squad and they kind of do the big old slow-mo walk and they're really trying to sell oh this is the team we're going to be following yeah and then proceeds to mow down you know <laughs> pretty
1: much almost al- all all, of all them.
0: almost all of them <laughs> in the opening <laughs> sequence and it's great because it's a collection of like comedians and and actors that, like you know famous actors that have never had a superhero moment, so it's like kind of cool to have them be a superhero for at least one <laughs> installment and just watch yeah. them like get.
1: I, m- I remember you, in free. the in the theater when because I think we both forgot that Pete Davidson's in it and you leaned over me like oh he's gonna he's gonna make this film a lot better and then he immediately just yeah. dies <laughs> yeah, face blown <laughs> off.
0: He would have made the film a lot better, I think, if he was in it longer. But the the problem with... I, I like who we ended up with. Um, and we're yeah. going to talk about the actual Suicide Squad soon. But uh, I like... This film made me feel... And the fact that after that opening sort of massacre of all of these superheroes your original reaction is, oh, that was cool. That was great for shock kind of humor sense and stuff. And it sets yeah. the tone, but,
1: but the real narrative begins after and, that. And,
0: and the fact of the matter is you're like, oh, that's probably going to be the only deaths, but then other ones die later in the film. And I, I mm. like that. Like the fact that it wasn't just a, oh, we're just going to shock you and make you laugh. And now we're going to go back to traditional superhero conventions. And yeah, the, the team is going to survive. And the it, fact was,
1: that, it was very similar to the Deadpool two gag. Where he spends all this time getting an ensemble and they all just die immediately yeah. on a mission. It's a very similar gag. I think it worked better in here. I think I knew about oh, it at the well, time, Because though. what I'm saying is mm. is
0: because it works... I think it works better here is because it's consistent. It's actually not just a gag. It's it's These superheroes can die. And we yeah. really should value the fact that we seriously need to start. I mean, this is why I know you haven't seen the boys, but this is why like I hold the boys in high regard and even invincible to an extent is superheroes aren't invincible and Mm. they shouldn't be given, they shouldn't be thrown off a five story building, hit every scaffolding on the way down and Mm. walk it off, dust off like nothing's happened to them. And yet characters (laughs) that don't have names die in the exact same circumstances like that scene in black widow. Mm. Um, Whereas, You know, it's like, unless they are Superman and then even Superman, one of the opening lines about Bloodsport's character is why he's in prison because he put Superman in the ICU. It just goes to show it's like, we need to start having that relative, like, like it's like, you know, relativity. To it, and you can make things stupid. I mean, the villain in this is hilarious in a lot of ways. Yeah, I saw. I was meant um, to
1: send you the meme, but I was thinking SpongeBob the whole time, and then immediately on my phone, a SpongeBob meme came up <laughs> yeah. about the main villain. It's like, <laughs> uh,
0: and yet they can still be menacing, and you know, you, there's they could, but and I like that this film has that that balance of yeah. kind of humanizing what have become not really humans in a lot of ways superheroes yeah. and
1: well i had a similar thing with um at the end of the film when you know we have i mean every every superhero film has mm. it when the citizens are now in danger and they're being evacuated and chased by the big you know nemesis or the villain and i love that they sort of established that as soon as you know and spoilers for the end of the film, i guess when those starfish creatures latch onto their face it's like oh they're dead you know, and I think I love a film that as much as it can kill its main, like, heroes, quote-unquote, in this scenario, it also kills random bystanders in the same way. Because most Marvel films go out of their way to not have that. Avoid because it. Yeah, because it's it's there's still a bit of, like, oh, that's a bit horrible, seeing innocent civilians just mm. die and not be saved by people. And, like, you see all the time they have extended scenes of, oh, here's this random family we're going to save. And this one's like, no, no, no. A lot of people are going to die in this scenario.
0: It's that balance between science fiction slash superhero stuff and reality. Like Mm -hmm. having that balance, there are thousands upon thousands. That that scene with with Viola Davis and how everyone reacts with the fact that she just tells them to leave because it doesn't serve the US's interests anymore. That morality uh, fight and argument and the fact that they sort of just have to hijack the situation to ensure... Um, humanity sort of prevails is is very cool and yeah. those sort of scenes
1: I really really quite enjoyed um, yeah, and to your point with like the film creating real tension I thought I'm like there's a good chance this film can end right now with her being so angry at them that she presses the button and kills them all right then and there and the film ends mm. I generally thought that was a potential ending to this yeah. film as like a dark sinister last middle finger to well the American government sucks yeah and it got, it kind of does deviate in the way you expect it to where they do fight the big baddie and they win and you know the daughter sees her dad as a hero and they sort of go down the contemporary path but the reason i'm so happy is the film is portrayed in a way up until that point where i my brain can wonder oh they might authentically do that because mm. i sure as hell didn't think that for a lot of other superhero films yeah you know it's very cool oh, that's great
0: um i guess we probably should dive a little bit more into the plot right
1: yeah, mm. so I think... I mean, talking about that, sort of the anti-American government mm. stance, but I knew going in, because I, I, I kind of avoided reviews and stuff, but I did see someone being like, I love how anti-American this is. And I was like, okay, it's going to be very subtle. You know, you have the American flag and one of the opening shots when they're walking down, and obviously John Cena's character, Peacemaker, is very patriotic, and um, I kind of...
0: Fatally patriotic.
1: Yeah, well, I love how far they take that arc, and him especially... Mm. In terms of this whole thing being that that reveal of Viola Davis's character, even in the original Suicide Squad, was like a cold bitch. Mm. <laughs> but they take it even further in this film, where like she is like genuinely evil. Yeah. Yeah. And we see it at the beginning when she threatens Idris Elba's daughter. Yeah. Like, been... oh, I'm gonna put that 16 year old in in a high security prison. You know, we'll see how she's gonna do in there. That's such a horrible, yeah. cold thing to do. But. She her as a character, in terms of us I guess I mean sympathy for her, there is none. She is chaotic evil, if you were to look at that mm. little chart of <laughs> chaotic and neutral good
0: versus evil. You're doing the D and D reference there.
1: Oh, am I? Yeah. Oh God. Oh no, it. what have I done? <laughs> you did it. I, love it. I love it. I was referring to memes, Zeke. Yeah. <laughs> from D D. Uh but yeah, it's like I love that they took it to that extra set or rather the James Gunn took it to the extra set because I think comparatively to the original film you know I'm not just being facetious when I say it, it's done better in every conceivable way like when we obviously it's fun to see the whole cast of characters get killed off in the you know, the early scenes but it's like even the way they flash back to I guess a few days earlier or, what, or whatever it was like technically that's an in-media res opening where we're technically seeing the first scene is further in the story mm. and we have to catch up to it and the the original film does a lot of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth narrative yep. structure, but it's so convoluted and confusing in that case. And there's so much like splash screen coming up and they're introducing characters over and over and over again with these like generic montages of, oh, look at these bad characters doing bad things. And this film not only doesn't do that, but it really takes the time to develop. Whereas like we meet, is it Rat Catcher? Uh, Rat
0: Catcher 2.
1: Rat Catcher 2, exactly, a number two. We meet her long before we learn any more of her backstory or her arc or the journey that she's about mm-hmm. to go on personally. It's just paced out better, you know? And it's like yeah. there for all the characters where you can actually have time to know who the characters are and have sympathy for them because they're villains. But this film's a lot less, we're bad guys. That's what we do about the whole damn thing. It's film. not there. There's no, <laughs> this is
0: Katana. This is Katana, to- yeah.
1: <laughs> Moment. This, she could, She sucks the souls out of something and, and she kill you and that's all I remember from that movie. You, you, you know, that is a perfect, perfect, perfect that's analogy. That. She just shows up on the plane and some random guy says, she's bad, take our word for Flag. it. That's Flag.
0: Flag's the one that says that. Oh, well, there you
1: go. <laughs> and
0: uh, I just think that, That's
1: horrible. Yeah.
0: And then, of course, you're 100% right. You, they build, it's building blocks and I think all of them get that on the adventure because yeah. at the end of the day why would they talk about their backstories? Like, they don't, like, they're not friends. Um, they, like, none of them have relationships prior to this. They only build stuff up, you know, because as they build rapport with each yeah, other. throughout the journey. It's just classic storytelling. It's yeah. simple, easy to follow storytelling. And especially since multiple of their backstories directly tie into either their fates or their mm. their point in the plot, that's what's really important. I yeah. think each character at bar, um, um I'm going to butcher his name. The, the Shark Man, um, a I think it is. The
1: Shark Man.
0: Sylvester Stallone.
1: Isn't it just King Shark?
0: King Shark. We'll go with King okay. Shark. Yeah. yeah but they they say he's like, Oh, he's got a natural name. He's a but we'll <laughs> go with King Shark. Um, yeah. You know, like he's the only one that doesn't really get like, but he's also the I am Groot of of this this group basically right. um might I <laughs> say is, Sylvester, between Vin Diesel and Sylvester Stallone like that's just so funny yeah, like, yeah. having those two be that. Sylvester Stallone's funny in this is King Shark though some of his lines are just so
1: funny yeah he's he's got good uh, lines um, um <laughs> oh what was hand. there was one that I re- yeah <laughs> the, what was the line he said I actually really like laughed he said something funny I can't remember but it's interesting because yeah we're talking about like these characters having <laughs> having actual journeys within the film yeah. we, number one we don't see any of like their montage lead up this is what they did to end up in jail we don't need any of that no. and it kind of softens them as villain characters so we understand them as just different characters but the other one I want to talk about which actually you reminded me just speaking then is Harley Quinn mm. has like honest to God consistency across not just this film but the other films and you pointed out, she's only in, like, three of those ten DC yep. films. And she has, like, a pretty interesting arc in terms of, you know... Original. She's been in
0: it now as many films as Superman, right? Oh, no, Superman would have been in one more. Man, wait, Man of Steel. No, he was in three. more. Oh, really? Yeah, Batman v Superman, Justice League, and Superman. Uh, Man of Steel. I, guess,
1: I guess I had, like, below-the-chin shot of him in Shazam, which I totally forgot that we did Shazam on the show. Yeah, wow. A long time ago I now, it feels it. like. <laughs> wow,
0: it's like nearly three years
1: ago. Yeah. It's crazy. Oh, that wasn't a bad one either. No. I enjoy it. Because it doesn't take itself as seriously. No. You know? No, it's fun. It's fun. It's like, this film's fun. But with, yeah, with Harley Quinn, it's like you have that journey she had with the Joker in the original film, which goes nowhere in that film. Mm. You know, first of all, the Joker shouldn't even have been in that film. Yeah. Ridiculous. And the performance was woeful. Mm. But then you have the breakup at the start of Birds of Prey. Yes. And sort of her journey finding these, you know, this other squad of characters, and and like you said, I I forgot that she doesn't really get arrested or anything at the bi- at the end of Birds of Prey. They yeah. sort of explain away why she's back on the team and has the chip in her head again. Yeah, very, it was a very
0: quick one-liner. Like she robbed a bank and she yeah, yeah. And which yeah. is fine.
1: It's whatever. We got to get her in the movie. I get it, but yeah. but she has consistently because then she goes out with that god, um, I guess that royal guy that's in love with her and says like, oh, I need I need a wife. Um, and that—that's a whole fun sequence where they use the whistle for a choir song, which I love that song. Um, and she falls in love with him again, but there's that consistency because she spots a red flag and shoots him. Yeah. And that, that whole whole monologue in that scene would not have existed without the events of Birds of Prey. Yeah. Which I thought was awesome. I
0: love that there's some consistency there. And I think it's just like everything. It's like they don't try and by the end of the film. Um, you know, it was very clear everyone undergoes arcs to some point and they're not just mm. sitting in a bar going, oh, we're a family now. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like Idris Elba's character's got like sort of the surrogate daughter thing with Rat Ratcatcher 2, who also has yep. the sort of absent father figure. So that explains itself. Um, you know, his phobia of rats is justified and it's given its backstory. He wouldn't want to be a leader, but he's a natural leader and completes that arc by, you know, saving and leading a team i mean it's all pretty simple stuff
1: even um polka dot with like obviously he's got his mummy issues the norman Bates joke they made which is great but here's the thing that's introduced to us it's not introduced at the beginning oh his mother did experiments on him and this is his character Character. now it's like no, no no we meet him and there are jokes about his powers and Mm. then we see him having what seems to be like an allergic reaction Mm. and that becomes a mystery of what's going on who is this guy And then we learn, oh, it's a result of, I guess, his experiments his mum caused. Mm. And then the rest of the film is him coming to grips with with, with those issues.
0: Yeah. Well, learning to sort of embrace that he's actually a superhero or capable Mm. of being a superhero. At least in the duration of the film. Yeah.
1: (laughs) But that's the thing. In the duration of the film. Mm -hmm. Not just like all spewed out at the very beginning. It's like, no, it's carefully paced and threaded throughout the film. Or at the very
0: end and it's a and it was a nice balance of wholesome versus comedic you know yeah. the fact that he sees his mum everywhere and and we actually see that non-diegetic projection yeah. of his mother literally yeah. being everywhere <laughs> um
1: that's a great shot i was so distracted the first shot of just looking at king shark yeah that i didn't realize i was like oh was everyone hurt yeah. and i didn't my eye would did not even scan that shot I like um, the one
0: in the dance when he's in the nightclub dancing. It's just like her around. That was one of my favorite. I was like, "That's so funny." And yeah, the final one great. is funny. That's, that's my your, favorite. That's your mother.
1: And she's a giant up there. I just love like, her her look yeah. with like the dress. She's the most in it. Karen looking <laughs> Karen. <laughs> it's it's, just, it's great. She needed the haircut though. That was it. Mm. But just like that archetypal mum image—that's now a giant throwing things at buildings. And, yeah, yeah. No, that was all great. But again, it's an example of them just. I know we've, we already, we've already
0: passed the spoiler. Oh, we broke that now. seal long ago. It's the friend. saddest death in a superhero film. Just uh, to get which, squashed. Oh, but <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm a superhero! <laughs> see, I don't... See, I don't... I told you this. I didn't think that death was necessary because, yeah, you're right. His arc was... It's done. It's done. But he didn't need to die for the arc to be done. And my, and my thinking is that once those characters who've survived at this point have decided we're going to do a good thing to save the city... It would have been a nice subliminal thing to have them all survive from that point on. The fact that they've all made this decision to do something good for the people around them. Yeah, but that's... uh, Once again,
0: that comes back to why I like the film because they don't just go, oh, well, now at this point they're all going to be safe because that's the arc from transitioning from being a villain to a hero. Um, He achieved it. So at that point, in future films, he wouldn't really have that much more to offer and I think that that... Norman Bates joke or the seeing the mum everywhere joke will only have so much legs like there's not really anywhere else his character could have gone i guess and his death still carries weight um so I, and and it comes back to obviously there's going to be sequel films mm. and it they've made it very guns obviously made it very clear that he likes pulling these really obscure heroes and of anti-villains and yeah, just throwing yeah. them which in which i like into these things, because they have you know obviously like not as much plot armor like you can casually kill them off. yeah yeah
1: um well that that's sort of my question I want to pose to you is the post credit scene reveals that peacemaker, you know after being overly patriotic and and starting to turn on his team, which is yeah. we'll talk about that soon, but um him still being alive in the post credit scene or him mm. being revived is almost a punishment from Viola Davis's Mm. character it's because see I was sort of watching this in in a sense hoping a lot of this film was me sort of what it plays out in a lot of ways the way you would expect where they they turn on the government save the city Mm. and it ends in in that way where you sort of you probably could have predicted that before walking into the film like it doesn't really go that twisty Mm. even though there's a lot of liberties of who dies and whatnot but I think that's the trick that it played on my brain and my brain's also playing the trick of does this film need a sequel? The answer is probably yes Yeah. from the producer's mindset especially if this is successful which is a hard measure to, to justify because right now the film was on a budget of 185 million at the moment the box office is only 19 million. Man. Now it's early days and HBO Max and all of that. I get it. But my guess is this is going to be successful and yeah. they're going to want to make another film. Mm-hmm. But did... Do we need Peacemaker to have survived for that?
0: I th- I think he's a measurable villain. I'm not mm. sure where or how we're gonna spin it, um, because it'll be interesting how they frame it um, and whether
1: Gun gets the sequel right. Like, yeah i I would hope that he does. Yeah, I would hope if if they're gonna do it, they might as well. See, this is what's weird, completely tangent, but um, Quiet Place Part 3, John Krasinski not directing that. That's weird to me, you know? Yeah. And I would think I would find this weird if James Gunn didn't return. Absolutely. The, um, the, the Suicide Squad. <laughs> I mean, and,
0: and like we were talking about at the start of the show, you know, it, it's left it very open for Will Smith to return and... Mm. Um, you know who knows uh who else they might bring in they might cross pollinate with the harley quinn film some of those characters might make an appearance that'd be cool um i think uh this was a really really strong outing for sure um Mm -hmm. and i really enjoyed it um which was nice to enjoy a superhero film (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> nowadays i thought i'd only have to be getting that off of series now so right. that was really nice i'd say yeah
1: yeah good so you touched a bit earlier on non-diegetic visual storytelling mm. this is something we talked about because when we're watching it i know you were very not a fan of the um all the legends that would come up throughout but that they would be sort of ingrained into the environment so yeah. the 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 footsteps in the sand would spell out two weeks earlier or like, the vines of these trees would come out or the fire would spell in the shape mm. of a word, um, which is very, I said, it's very BoJack-like. There's a lot of jokes in BoJack, where, like, the newsstand was, say, two weeks earlier. Yeah. Um, or the, the the radio would be like, it's six weeks from last Friday. Like, things that diegetically don't make any sense, sense. to the story. Um, but that was sort of my thinking of it, because I made the joke to you, is this better or worse than the, the Russo brothers' giant pompous texts in their films which was also in black widow as well and my answer would be yes because it it honestly just takes more creative um effort to do that because you have to shoot the scene with that in mind and it just becomes this more inventive way of telling the legend Mm. and it reminded me of when christopher nolan said that if you hated the tenet soundtrack you were conservative and I'm sitting there being like, well, screw you. That soundtrack's inconceivable. I don't understand what they're saying in the dialogue. Mm. But we are so used to non-diegetic music. There's a lot of that in this film, music that the characters won't be able to hear. And I thought it was kind of interesting for them to play with that. And it's not just in the text. It's when Harley Quinn's massacre has flowers coming out instead of blood. And, you know, that's a, a very Birds of Prey thing to do. That's partly why I like that film as well. But I... I kind of embraced that part of the film. Yeah. And i I, I, I do like that
0: characters had motifs like that. Mm. Like Ratcatcher 2 had, like, um, when she was talking about her backstory and how it was kind of projected onto uh, the, the, the bus window, know, very, yeah, like, yeah. French New Wave-esque sort of like. Mm. It was in motif with her character, which was really... Yeah, that's really another quite, great example. Yeah. yeah, it was good, good um, nifty,
1: for sure. Yeah. No, I, I mean, that's exactly it. I just thought it was fun and interesting i was like you know what i actually kind of dig it i i totally get like e- even in bojack i'm still a little like i i think we're just generally uncomfortable with non-diegetic visual aids mm. or elements because we don't see it as much as we hear it in music and um i don't know is there something about the way this from dada that made me think about that on a larger scale i was like i really appreciate that i do but yeah all right well do we want to jump into some highlight scenes?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, sure, mate. I'd say my highlight scene is... I really like the first time... Um, Peacemaker and Bloodsport break into that camp. And they're oh, yeah. sort of doing the anything <laughs> I, you could do, I could do better. Yeah. Um, and then it, the punchline being that they actually were killing resistant fighters... <laughs> <laughs> and not the, who were the good guys, yeah. And they just didn't write. And that really awkward moment when they realized I thought it was very funny. Oh, I didn't see anyone
1: good. that went there.
0: <laughs> so mowed down 30 yeah. of them.
1: No, that's a great example because that, that does work so well. That like what well, plays into their twist. motif
0: that they're, 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 they're especially at that point, their lack of care for life to me, yeah. how casually they kill people and they're doing if it was
1: anti American as well, yeah. <laughs> It was it's yeah.
0: very good with especially like some of the like how they were talking about like the flare and a kill is what well. if, it, if it looks
1: badass, then it's not, yeah, showing up. <laughs> um, yeah, he just gives just... up, he's like, damn it, he's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great scene. I probably have to go with just sort of something from I'll say the third act in the sense that it's just that, that whole reveal of the American government being in on this experiment, and it's almost sort of a they're pawns in a bigger story of them trying to eliminate their own involvement and the way it affects peacemakers ideology or the fact that it doesn't affect his ideology that almost every other character is like that's screwed up i'm working for the bad guy now and he's like no 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 and i know this is the thing that we didn't talk much about john cena's performance and we could say what we want about his apology recently and all that stuff but i generally liked him in this film and i thought that turn was excellent when he the team turned on each other in a way.
0: I think it's really important that obviously these aren't um, like they talk about. Like I think like Ratcatcher two is very much her character is sort of just was in the wrong place at the wrong time and is mm. in that sort of that prison environment because she really had nowhere else to go and 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 sort of uh, you know it was it was like I said wrong place wrong time. So she's morally probably quite a good person and of course Flag was a good person just yeah. You know, also so the the that scene playing out between the three of them was very effect effective yeah and i like what Bloodsport does you know he he doesn't like do the full complete right thing he doesn't give it to the press but he uses it as leverage to get them off the hook basically and yeah he says we saved a city all right like call it call it even yeah no
1: it's a smart sort of half measure he does um, which is clever Yeah. yeah
0: Um, which, w- at the end of the day, we don't want these k- characters to straight away, at least completely, um, make that transition from villain to hero. Mm. Um, we want to, and that's and that's served with particularly Elba's character. How great some of those scenes with his the, the scene with his daughter in the earlier. That's stages a great scene where scenes, he's well, just they're shouting they're, match together, just telling each other to f themselves, basically. <laughs>
1: so, I like that it took looking that far. It's good.
0: I do. it's great. Also,
1: alrighty. Well. Cool. The
0: suicide squad is currently out in cinemas near you
1: there you go, and if you're uh, in a lucky country with h b o max you got it for a month, so get on to it enjoy all supported of cinema huh but speaking of cinemas, jake, what's <laughs> new to cinemas this week? Oh, are you excited, Zeke? <laughs> sure, you excited for the kissing booth free I am oh, oh boy, couldn't baby. have come sooner, <laughs> 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 oh man, yeah, get ready for that one, so that's coming to Netflix this week as well as. Or six seasons of the Mindy Project. We talked about Kaylee Mindy uh, earlier in the show. Uh, Stan's got a big drop this week. We have The Curious Case of the Benjamin Button. Of the Benjamin Button. (laughs) Like the Suicide Squad. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. The Notebook. Saving Private Ryan. The Truman Show. Dumb and Dumber. The Prestige. Wild Mountain Time. T-H-Y-M-E. We talked about that not long ago. Uh, As well as, ironically, Suicide Squad. Not the the... So, uh, if you want to go through that again, <laughs> why don't you go ahead and do that? Also, a bunch of mini series E's and series 12 of Doctor Who. If that you're into that, then there you go. Uh, coming to Disney this week is What If, which is the animated anthology series that rewrites stories across the previous entries of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I didn't realize this was coming out so soon. That's so, nice. I thought it was like way later in the year, but um, I have no interest in this whatsoever. It, some of it just seems so... What If? Killmonger was in the first time. It's like, I know it's a what if, I know that's the whole point, mm. but like the, those are so, it's already so random. I don't know. Maybe that'll work in its favor. I, I really don't know, nor care. Uh, and I'm really excited for this one. Coming to Apple TV Plus this week is Koda, uh, which was a huge hit at Sundance earlier this year. So we're actually getting it relatively early, considering the Sundance to theatrical mm-hmm. um, timeline. Usually it's way later in the way year later, for Oscar yeah. season. So... I'm very excited for this. It focuses on a coda, a child of deaf adults, who is the only hearing person in her family as she has to choose between staying with her parents or pursuing her love for music. Now I actually have a friend I grew up with who is a coda, and both her parents are deaf and she's not, um, which is just something so fascinating that I've never really bothered to talk to her much about, which was interesting. Um, But it made me think of her a lot and I'm very excited because it's meant to be very good. Uh, And finally, coming to cinemas, The Ice Road, which comes to Hoyt, sees Liam Neeson play an ice driver who leads a rescue mission over a frozen ocean to save the lives of trapped diamond miners. This looks too much like Cold Pursuit, which was really bad. So, uh,
0: Another another Liam Neeson finding and killing or finding and saving (laughs) people.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Finding and doing something to someone. Uh, And finally, coming to Luna is Some Kind of Heaven, which is a documentary that gives an insight into America's largest retirement community, The Village in Florida, which is also known as Disneyland for Retirees. So uh, That sounds interesting. Mm, interesting. That might, might be know.
0: my Thursday film.
1: Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Very interesting. But yeah. Okay, I'm
0: as well. We're not catching any of those next week on the show. We're actually moving oh. into another director's corner. But Jake, who's the director? and What are we watching?
1: So if you've been paying attention to the last 10, 15 episodes, you knew this was coming, everyone. We're finally doing our... Dennis Villeneuve, Director's Corner. We're doing Blade Runner 2049. Every civilization was built off the back of a disposable workforce. But I can only make so many. Happy birthday. order to things that's what we do here we keep order the world is built on a wall that separates kind tell either side there's no wall you bought a war Once I was good at it. I know. What do you want? I want to ask you some questions. Kay, an officer with the LAPD, unearths a secret that could create chaos. He goes in search of a former Blade Runner who has been missing for over three decades. See, I don't think either of us have watched this film and it's entirely before. Entirely, entirety. Entirety. Entire and I'm a retiree at Disneyland for retirees. <laughs> um, um No but I'm very excited for this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And obviously to talk a bit about Villeneuve. we can, you know, touch on things mm. like arrival and other other works from him so
1: prisoners and that dune's coming out pretty soon now
0: so this would be a good gear up so weird thinking those films are coming like french dispatch and dune and stuff and last night in soho
1: and they're all most of them come out in the same day as well oh my god (laughs) oh i'm so excited for all of them
0: but until then thank you for joining us for the cinema side show podcast i was zeke i was jake and we'll catch you next week with blade runner 2049